The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. Tēnā you glorious bastards. Haere mai to the Paradise Delay podcast, an exploration of electronic music and mental health. How's it going? Hope you guys are doing alright. Hope your mornings are quiet and your nights are full of loud electronic dance music. So, as you all know, right now, I'm lying down on some pillows with a little fold-out table with my microphone on it, sitting in Tolaga Bay. And it's beautiful out here, it's been so sunny. Locals are nice. Just love the community out here. Everyone seems pretty connected with each other. It's, it's a cool thing. And yeah, it's starting to feel like summer. Getting that itch to drink beers after work, sit in the sun. And yeah, it's beautiful. And the thing that reminds me about summer the most really synonymous 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 with summer um, I think I got that word right in the end something that's synonymous with summer is grass and I hear you thinking of course grass summer, grass grows in summer I'm talking about a particular type of grass this is something that reminds me of summer and I think it's etched into my brain because of the pain it brings to me. And it's this prickly grass. I'm sure you all know it if you live in New Zealand. If you don't live in New Zealand, it's this prickly grass and it only seems to come out in summer. And unfortunately for us, it's always located at beach. Like it, it must be coastal grass. It must grow close to the beach because it's all around the beach and I only really remember it as a child or growing up going to the beach walking around bare feet just getting these nasty pricks in your feet and yeah nasty little grass and I can't help but think you know like how cruel God is if he exists I'm not sure he does I'm an agnostic believe anything if God exists he's pretty cruel to put this prickly grass coast next to the coast I mean it's a perfect environment to chill out walk around and bare feet and walk on the sand but as soon as you get to grass you know you just get that feeling of anticipation like oh my next step could be on a bunch of prickles it's kind of like this weird beach anxiety where I don't know you just when you least expect it you're gonna stand right in a bunch of these nasty prickles get five or six prickles in your foot and spend the next couple of steps trying to rub them off on the grass as you're walking along and yeah I've been thinking you know how humans never used to wear shoes well obviously you don't remember it was a long time ago but other than hippies and children you know most adults wear shoes these days but for most of human history I don't think we wore shoes Maybe we wrapped up some, like, animal hide and wrapped around our feet. 
I'm not sure. But yeah, most of human history didn't wear shoes. And we evolved to walk bare feet. And part of me is wondering, you know, where these, like, old human... Not old humans, but humans in the past. Did they have to deal with this prickle grass? You know? Did they have to deal with walking to the beach with the threat of getting, you know, five nasty prickles in your foot? And my thinking is no. Like, if you're walking around in bare feet all your life, you're probably going to develop some pretty thick soles, and maybe, you know, they're resistant to these prickles. And I've kind of taken this on board. I've decided not to give a shit about the grass. Who cares? It's just a little bit of pain. And But there's a reason why I'm trying not to give a shit about the grass. I'm kind of hoping that there's some kind of dormant gene from the past that's going to be switched on by me repeatedly walking on this prickly grass and getting prickles. Maybe my feet, some gene in my feet will be like, oh, we're getting prickled, we're getting hurt. Let's turn on this dormant gene that's been asleep ever since humans have been wearing shoes and develop some thick soles in my feet that will make you resistant to getting these prickles. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like a lot, but it's it's plausible, right? It's plausible, so I'm giving it a go, putting my life down for this science experiment. I'll keep you updated, don't worry. And, you know, I'm not hoping for some kind of, like, evolutionary adaption, like some random gene mutation that will make me resistant to prickles. But, yeah, I'm just hoping that by repetitively walking bare feet and putting my feet in harm's way, my soles of my feet might adapt uh, like humans and go back to that primal human state, that primal human foot soul state. And if I prick my feet enough, the gene will wake up from 10,000 years ago, be like, oh, cool, I have use again, I'm back. And not only this, but, you know, maybe if this gene walks up, I know genes that switch on a hereditary, you get this thing called uh, inherent genes. I can't remember what it's called, but basically it's, you can inherit genes that have been switched on and switched off from your ancestors. So say if your granddad went through a really stressful time and it was all because of a pink elephant, you as a grandchild might know nothing about this pink elephant, but have this weird anxiety around pink elephants that you have no idea about until you talk to your grandfather and be like, yo, are you scared of pink elephants? And he'll be like, yeah, I was traumatized by pink elephants and that's why you might be too. Who knows? But I'm hoping maybe this inherent gene will be passed down through all my generations and, you know, maybe they'll thank me for it. Who knows? Maybe they'll be like, yes, Thank you, great-great-great-great-grandfather, for walking bare feet, because now I can enjoy the beach without the threat of being prickled in the foot. Sometimes you got to do it, you know, for those future generations. Anyways, bloody hell, that was a bit of a spill. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll cleanse the palate with something I've been listening to quite a bit lately.
<clears throat> it's by a Nigerian singer-songwriter and Afropop star, and it's a song called Rush. And Rush is really a description of where this artist is at the moment, a place of ref- reflection, zeal, and gratitude. And to be honest, I like this song because if you listen closely to it, you can hear the artist sing, make her dance like broccoli, steady grin like broccoli, and I'm pretty sure these are my favorite lyrics of all time. Or maybe you just hear what you want to hear. So this is Aira Star, a song called Rush. It's a banger. Enjoy. You're on the Paradise Delay podcast on Fresh FM.
the Paradise Delay podcast. Welcome back. Did you hear it? Did you hear him say, make a dance like broccoli, steady grin like broccoli. I'm pretty sure it's there. Um, yeah, let me know if you heard it, because I can't be the only one, surely. If it is that, seriously, greatest lyrics of all time, make me think a lot. How do you dance like broccoli? Is it broccoli in a steamer? Does this broccoli in a steamer even move? Maybe broccoli in the wind. Yeah, that could work. Broccoli in a gale. I could see that. So, I was reading the news this week and an article popped up from our dear friends, the Australians. So, a comedian and journalist was in the news. And... I have been watching this guy for a while now. To be fair, I'm I'm not a huge fan of his comedy. He does some great political journalism, though, in New South Wales, over in Australia. And he's young. He's a young guy. He's about my age. I went to... I'm 30. I think I've mentioned that in the podcast before. Don't want to overshare. But he's a young guy. And I really look up to his work. And... What he does is he exposes corruption in New South Wales. He has done some great research and has managed to out a couple of corrupt politicians in New South Wales. And I just think he's cool. He's a young guy. He's like doing all these badass things and trying to make the world a better place. And the most interesting thing about him is how he goes about his journalism and reports it. He has a very unique approach in that he uses YouTube as his platform to get to his viewers. Where previously a journalist would have had to work for a newspaper to get their story across and have to have it approved and spend a lot of time working on it. Friendly Geordies, who is the name of this YouTuber, journalist, he uses YouTube to get his story across. And with a YouTube channel, it's cool, he has the freedom to research and write about whatever he feels like is most important. And the reason he uses YouTube as a platform is the whole media industry in Australia, not all of it, but a large percentage of it, is owned by one person, Rupert Murdoch. And so because he owns a lot of the media in the country, he kind of gets to dictate what the stories are about and what the spin is on the stories. And it's a totally biased way of getting the news. And I mean, I'm not talking about fake news or anything here. More, it's not a conspiracy, it's more, he gets to decide how the story is spun and from which perspective and who who is a villain and who is a victim in the story and he gets to create that with his media conglomerate so Friendly Geordies who is a YouTuber journalist was fed up with this and decided to use YouTube to get his unbiased stories straight to the viewers And what he does, I don't know, I just think it's so interesting. 
He really engages a younger audience by using this media. And he uses comedy to engage viewers, and especially the younger generation. And so he kind of brings politics along in that we get politics across and that it's fun and funny, but also he's doing really like hard-hitting journalism beside it, and it kind of makes the politics go down a bit easier. Nobody wants to talk about politics. Nobody really wants to research politics. It's so complex and a bit of a shit show, to be honest. And what he does is he kind of balances it, you know, he puts a little bit of milk on the wheat picks, maybe you would say, whereas politics it's just wheat picks, it's dry, it's boring. He adds a little bit of comedy, a little bit of milk and sugar to make it palatable. And I think it's really smart. And it's working for him. And so far Friendly Geordies has helped raise a heap of fun for the Australian wildfires. He's pointed out corruption in New South Wales. He's really making a positive change. And almost, to be honest, honestly he's doing too well. Because last week I woke up to news that somebody had firebombed his house. Someone (laughs) had gone to his house in the middle of the night and chucked him maybe like a Molotov cocktail. I don't know how this works. We'll say a Molotov cocktail. It wasn't the Russians. But a Molotov cocktail, someone firebombed his house with it, knowing that perfectly well that he could be in the house. And fortunately, Friendly Geordies wasn't home at the time. And so he was safe, but it's kind of crazy that he's doing so much good work that someone's trying to threaten him with physical harm to stop doing what he's doing. And he's... I guess it's a terrible thing to happen, but, I mean, he must be doing something right, right? Either way, poor fella, friendly Geordies, go check him out. He's he's interesting, he's, he's actually got a mental health channel as well, which is really good. And he's just really something, someone I look up to in that he's trying to make a positive change in the world. And he talks about that in his mental health. The politics is to give him meaning, whereas his mental health channel is kind of a way of, you know, dealing with the complications, that, like having your house firebombed. But he, yeah, he's just so cool, and I think it's really interesting how he's engaging younger generations and getting them active in politics using YouTube as a media. And I think it's great. I think he's making positive change. Here's to you, friendly Geordies. Good stuff, mate. And I was thinking, you know, it's we kind of need some more of that stuff in New Zealand, I think. It's cool to have it in Australia, but Australia steals a lot of stuff all the time. They steal pavlovers. Why can't we do something similar in New Zealand? Especially when you look at the number of voters that don't vote in New Zealand. In New Zealand's last election, less than 70% of people voted aged 18 to 34. So only about 70% of people voted in the younger age bracket. 
And I mean, you compare that with those age 65 and over, where almost 90% of them voted. So the older generation, because the younger generation is disengaged in politics, is actually having more of a say about our country and how it works, how it's governed, than the younger generation. And I just think that's wrong. Like, you look at a generation in New Zealand, we have a lot, we're struggling, like, with a lot of things, inequality, owning a home, university's so expensive that it's not really worth it. There's a whole generation that is struggling right now, and we're not voting because we're disengaged, we don't feel like we can make a change. And that's the crux of it. Like, I've met a few people who don't vote, and the reason they usually give me is they don't like politics. They think it's just a shit show. Why should they care? It's just, like, people yelling at each other. They also, when I've talked to them, they feel like it doesn't matter who they vote for, as they kind of feel like both two major parties in New Zealand are terrible. And I can understand it. With all the bickering and nasty headlines in the news, it can be easy to think that both parties are absolute dog shite. And, I mean, where I'm going with this is, I actually remember a few years ago reading an article about Donald Trump, the guy, his political strategy. In states which were particularly left-leaning, Trump's team didn't actually focus on getting people to vote for him when he was running for election. Instead, what they did was they tried to convince voters that both were bad, both were terrible candidates, and that it didn't matter who you voted for. And this convinced a lot of people not to go out and vote, and a lot of those people might have voted against Trump. And it was a devious strategy, I think, to convince people not to vote, that obviously gave power and led to him being one of the most powerful people in the world. And it's, it's kind of scary, and I think if that can happen in New Zealand, what's to stop it happening here? And I, I kind of think there is not an agenda, not a conspiracy, but obviously younger generations aren't voting because they feel disengaged with politics. And the ones that are voting, I don't know, just old boomers pretty much. <laughs> and to be fair, like, just to be clear, I'm not a huge fan of Hillary, but I think that going out of your way to convince people not to vote at all is unethical and shouldn't really be a thing. And it's scary to think that it worked. Trump won the election not by wholly convincing people to vote for him, but convincing them that there was no point in voting. And it's scary to think that could happen here. And I, I think with media that's outside the usual realm of internet and newspapers, I think there's a real, I don't know, there's a space in podcasts, especially because you can dive deep into topics, you can get professionals in to talk for a long time. And it's, it's not like you're watching TED 
talks or something where you're actively sitting down watching a TED talk. Podcasts are something you carry around with you. I've talked about this before. You put on a podcast while you're at work, you're pruning blueberries, you're listening to podcasts, you know, it's just something that helps you take your mind away. And it's a special space and I really think it's engaging with people in it. It could be a great media for younger generations. I count myself as younger generation even though I'm 30, but time sticking. So I I would like to start bringing a little bit, if not politics, into my podcast, but maybe just some evidence-based policy that I know a little bit about. I'm no expert, so take it with a grain of salt. But it's just interesting ideas that I'd like you to consider. And I've done research on them, but in the future I'd love to have some professionals talk about certain areas where they know a lot about and have on the podcast. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I just want to try and use my voice to try and engage younger voters and try and get them to vote and make a change and have more of a say in what's happening in politics. Like Chloe Schwarbrick, she's cool, she used the internet, she used Instagram. I think podcasts could also work as well. We'll see. Could could go terribly. Yeah, and I don't know, I just I feel like there's a lot of frustrated young people out there. Frustrated because they'll never be able to afford a house, you know, the cost of living crisis. And I know a lot of people just feel like they can't get ahead. And if you took this frustrated frustration and started trying to make change that could solve issues in New Zealand, I think it would be a great thing. It could make the country a better place by coming together and making change. What better to do that? With a podcast. Yeah, I mean, it gives me a sense of purpose as well for my mental health, which is great. And we'll we'll see how it goes. But it gives me a sense of at least trying to make change. And so, yeah, I'll be talking a little bit about evidence-based policy on this podcast, rather than tell you who to vote for. You know, talk about interesting policies, you know how we can solve issues creatively and not just kick the can down the road. And yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to play a song I made. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. I haven't finished it before recording this podcast. So this is this will be a surprise to me as well. So I hope it's okay. I've been trying to work on my balance a little bit and not having too many interesting layers to the song but just kind of have one thing come out at each time and I've also been trying to work with stereo and having my sounds uh, made for headphones so that's the sounds kind of dance around a little bit so we'll see how I did with that in this song yeah my song. Hope it's all good. We'll see you after.
You're back on the Paradise Delay podcast on Fresh FM. If you want to make a podcast, send Fresh FM an email. I'm pretty sure it's freshfm.co.nz. And make a podcast. You can talk about whatever you're passionate about. And yeah, really put your voice out there. I'm thinking about possibly changing this podcast to a future historian podcast where I try and document life and times as it is at this time. And maybe some stupid future historian will have to research this podcast. So I feel sorry for them. We'll see if I change the theme of this podcast. Who knows? But that was my song that just played. Um, I hope it was okay. I realize my songs aren't like 100% professional. I'm just trying to make music, you know. I'm just trying to get better. As this podcast gets better, hopefully my songs get a bit better too. 
and it's just a fun way to like express and look at growth through music. Uh, that's a that's the aim of it, is to get better. And maybe this future historian will be looking back at my songs and be like, "Yo, he made some progress. Kudos." Uh, so hello, future historian. It's our first time talking. Hope you're doing all right. Uh, yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> so, I'll get back to it. I was just talking about how I was interested in bringing in a little bit of evidence-based policy, maybe not so much politics, and just talk about that a little bit on this podcast, because why not? I have a voice. I should be using it to try and create some positive change in the world. And yeah, I'll just bring it in every now and then. It won't be every podcast. Don't worry. So, I guess... The subject that's been floating around a little bit recently, I don't read the papers, but I go on Reddit and New Zealand subreddit, and I look a little bit at that, and I get my news from there. I quite like the spin-off. Spin-off is quite a good website. I quite like what they do. Anyways, um, yeah, crime. Crime seems to be a big thing that's brought up at the moment. There seems to be a lot of news regarding the increase in crime that's happening in New Zealand. So I thought I'd, you know, try and get to the bottom of it. And I looked a little bit at crime statistics. I did a little bit of Googling, and my research methods aren't probably the best, but we'll get there. And I did find that since the beginning of lockdown, COVID lockdown, burglary is a big one that's gone up. Stuff is getting stolen everywhere, apparently. And... The thing is, these statistics that look at crime over time and how they're reported, when I looked at the statistics, crime dropped off heaps at the start of lockdown. And that seems pretty obvious. I mean, like, everyone's at home, so you're at present in your home, no one can come in and rob it. Also, you were discouraged from going outside, so if a sketchy-looking person is looking to rob someone... COVID lockdown would have been a terrible time to do it because everyone's on high alert, you know. When they're outside, they're not used to it. And so the amount of burglaries went down dramatically during lockdown. And also, yeah, a lot of other crime did as well. But the thing is, what's been reported on is that there's been a huge increase in crime and burglaries. But when you actually look at the statistics, before lockdown, it was pretty high as well. And it's only after lockdowns that that's ended is that crime has returned to its pre-COVID levels. So, you know, there's, there's no real reason to report on crime increasing because it's, it's just come back to normal, you know. And, yeah, it's, I don't know, I think it's just, like, cherry-picking data. The thing is, yeah, crime never went away, it was only hibernating during lockdown. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, crime is still a huge problem in New Zealand, and it's something that needs to be solved. And the usual tactic I've seen in the news is that we need to be tougher on crime. We need more police. We need 
harsher sentences. Well, I mean, we've been using this tactic for the past 60 years, right? And it hasn't really been doing anything to stop crime. People aren't really deterred by harsher sentences or things like that. It's, it doesn't really work having more police and harsher sentences. It's just, it hasn't worked before. Why would it work now? And it's, I don't know, when you look at New Zealand, New Zealand actually has a private prison. And they profit off every person that gets locked up in their prison. It's an it's American company called Serco. They own, I think, a prison in Auckland. I'm not entirely sure about that. But they are incentivized to have more prisoners locked up because that's how they make their money. I just think private prisons... Why would you have them? It's so bad for community. Some things shouldn't be privatized. And, yeah, it's it's a business that has a financial interest in getting more prisoners locked up. It's just, there's no incentive to help the prisoners during their time to re-enter society in a healthy way. They're more incentivized to do nothing to the prisoners so that they leave and then they get sent back as quickly as possible. That's pretty much what private prisons, that's how they're motivated. I mean, it's it's not a conspiracy. A wise man called Rawiri, who we're going to have on the podcast soon, he once told me that something's not a conspiracy if it's just money. People are motivated by money, and when money's involved, you know, people don't always act rationally and... They'll just look at profits instead of actually helping the community. Yeah, it's just crazy. Circa, what? <laughs> and the thing is, it costs a lot of money to lock prisoners up. It costs also a lot of money to arrest and convict and punish people that break the law. It's all incredibly expensive. And spending money on police and arresting people and punishing people. I mean, it just doesn't work. Obviously, we've had 60 years of doing this. Why do we still think it works? The system we have in play makes it incredibly hard for someone that has broken the law to return and live healthily in society. I mean, when you leave prison, the lawbreakers have no access to jobs, they have to tell people about the conviction, which severely limits their ability to get jobs. They have no skills to fall back on other than the ones I've learnt to break the law. Often it's easier for them to just go back to what they're doing before they entered prison because they haven't been given the skills in prison to enter society in a healthy way. They haven't been prepared for the return to normal life. So of course they return to their criminal activities because they don't know how to make money doing anything else. And it's like, instead of spending money, like a government, instead of spending money on arresting, convicting and punishing lawbreakers, imagine if we use that money to pay for increased, increased community rehabilitation and other therapeutic treatments instead of prison terms. These things, like community rehabilitation and therapeutic treatments, 
they've actually been shown to work and keep people out of prison. It's just, it's more efficient than locking criminals away in prison. Instead of locking them away, you give them the tools to live a life where crime isn't the only option. And unfortunately what we see in the media is, you know, ah, like when you try and do this, the media paints it as, ah, these people have been soft on crime. They've been too nice, you know. They need to, we need to be more tough on crime, stop this crime. And it just gets painted as that, and it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Why are we still doing it? Doesn't make sense to me. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that vote on that, you know, like vote for people that are tougher on crime, going to make the streets safer. And what they're doing is they're just spending a lot of money on stuff that doesn't work. Oh, politics gets me. Um. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. So. We are left with archaic policies on crime that are proven not to work, except if you're, in, if you're a private prison, making money on all the prisoners you have. I don't know. I, I think we should have, like... We should be aware that there's other options. And the thing is, like, it goes even further. I mean, we can look at the cannabis referendum a couple of years ago. I mean, if we decriminalise cannabis, we haven't legalised it, many New Zealanders would not be put in jail for cannabis-related crimes. We'd have people wiped of their cannabis possession crimes and so they could go out and apply for other jobs. Not only this, but like cannabis would be taken out of the hands of drug dealers and gangs and therefore like a lot of money would been saved you would save a lot of money not having to police a drug as well so they would not only this but in financial interest it would you would collect a lot of tax on cannabis that could be spent on doing good things in the community and the results were close it was a couple years ago i think the results were close new zealand was going to legalize cannabis or decriminalize it i'm not sure and it was 49% that voted for it, and 51% that voted no. It was so close, team. And when we look at the statistics of like the ages that voted, you can see that the younger generation, about 70% of those vote aged 18 to 39, voted yes. And that's a that's a huge proportion of people that voted yes. And only. I think around 20% of those who are aged over 65 voted yes. And the thing is, a lot more of those who are over 85, 65, sorry, a lot more voted, and so that pushed the percentage down. And it just means that this older generation, that they get to decide what's going on in the country, because we're not out in voting. We voted between 18 and 39 voted hugely in favor of legalizing it but unfortunately it was the 65 and over that got out and voted and for whatever reason younger people are less likely to vote so we remain with weed criminalized which is a shame 
when you look at all the countries that have legalized it and it seems to be going well. So I thought, I don't know, I'm a bit frustrated with this. I might play a little song. This is a song by Chanel Trays. It's a, it's a bit of a banger, you know. It's interesting. It's a unique marriage between bouncy Detroit house and West Coast rap sensibilities. Delivers woozy vocals over a blown-out G-funk backdrop. Channel trays in the song offloads lyrics that tread a fine line between nightclub ballad and politics, singing about having to chase down his unreliable weed dealer. Four had that problem, right? This is Channel Trey's Weed Man. Some weed. You know, I love me some weed. I'm addicted to the tree, to the bush. Wake up, I get my switch from the store. Break it down, cause you know I want some more. Don't give me that eye, cause I'm smoking in the door. Weed man high, now I'm blowing up his phone. Now I'm going to the weed man spot. I've been blowing up your phone while you giving me the runaround. I thought you was my homes, my nigga. I thought that we go way back. We used to smoke the Reggie while your mama worked the Outback. My bad, I know I owe you like a band, but maybe I could pull up with some bitches and they friends. Pick up, or I'ma pull up in the phone. Then you see me get money, so you know I'm good for Wake it. Wake up, I get my social from the store. Break it down, cause you know I want some more. Don't give me that eye, cause smoking in the dough. We mad high, now I'm blowing up his phone. Now I'm going to the weed, man. Don't you know you can't assume, yeah, I'm your weed man, but I also got the shrooms Slow down, I know you need your drugs, but you know you ain't the only one that's trying to hit the plug I'm sorry, I ain't trying to kill your buns, nigga, I was on my way, but all my bitches need a numb Hey girl, why you blowing on my phone, cause you know a nigga working, I'ma call you when I'm home I wanna get high, I need some weed I wanna get high, but I can't smoke for free I wanna get high. I need some weed. I wanna get high. But I can't smoke for free. Wake up, I get my switch from the show. Break it down, girl, you know I want some more. Don't give me that eye, cause I'm smoking in dough. We met high, now I'm blowing up his phone. That was Chanel Trey's song called Weed Man. Yeah, struggles you have with your weed dealer, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, you're on the Paradise Delay podcast. This is Fresh FM as usual. Best radio station in New Zealand. What's up? So we're talking about uh, 
Okay, now I'm voting. And I guess drug policy and crime policy and how we police it. Just, I don't know, putting some ideas out there, I guess. Don't, don't take my word as gospel. I get things wrong all the time. But I think it's important to have a discussion. And I want to look at Portugal as an example in drug policy. As you know, they've decriminalized all drugs there. Man, I sound like a huge druggie. I'm not. I just smoke a bit of Bundy every now and then, and that, that does me right. So, um, Portugal, yes. They look at drug addiction as a mental health problem. And they look at it as the threat of going to prison is not going to deter, deter a drug user. Which is fair enough. Like, if you're addicted to something... Why should we punish those people more that make it tougher for them with the addiction? And yeah, a drug user is not going to give up drugs because it's illegal. And unfortunately, with a lot of drug habits, uh, such as the meth problem in New Zealand, in order to fund your drug habit, often you have to carry out crime. And it's the addiction that makes you do it. And how, I guess the question arises, how do we get people off drugs if making it illegal doesn't work? Because getting people off drugs means less crime because less people are doing crime to fund their habit. Well, instead of spending money policing the use of drugs, Portugal funded clinics that help with the safe use of drugs. And they also provided frameworks to getting off the drug. And it, it's worked crazy good. It's, it's been insane. I don't know if the exact same policy would work here, but certainly decreasing the punishment for using a drug and offering support services and funding that instead, I think is an awesome idea. So since the beginning of the policy, Portugal has seen the number of drug treatment programs increased by over 60%. And it, it, it's because when they made the drugs not illegal, they decriminalized it, more people were likely to seek help for their addiction. And not only that, the policy has seen the percentage of people in prison in Portugal for drug-related stuff decrease from 44% to 24%. Which is, which is huge. So we've got less people in prison, paying less for prison stuff. Yeah. And it's, it just seems like a better option than being tough on crime. Tough on crime doesn't work. I don't know how many times I need to say that. But we should be looking at society now and realizing that it doesn't work. And that we should be looking for other options. And that's, you know, Portugal looks at it, their attitude is that the eradication of all drugs in it is an impossible goal. And that drug addiction will always exist. And so it's, it's therefore, it's about health, not crime. It's about minimizing the effect of those addictions. And by eliminating the threat of criminal penalties and shifting the cultural stigma about drug use, it's provided greater access for people to seek treatment, which I think is great. 
and I think it could definitely work here too. But we have to vote for it. You young bastards, get out there and vote. You can do it. <laughs> don't know what accent that was, who cares. Uh, I just feel like we have to feel like we can make a change. And in order to feel like we can make a change, we've got to, I don't know, have discussions about these type of things. And the media just won't, for whatever reason, won't look at these things. Probably because it doesn't sell. I don't know. And it's gone even further in New Zealand. Like, we have one of the parties where they have a policy where they want to send youth offenders to a boot camp, which is supposed to fix them, apparently. Even though we know that doesn't work. And the craziest part of the plan is the plan's going to cost $400,000 per offender to go through this program. I mean, surely that money could be better spent on education or support networks or community services. And I guess it just sounds like a great headline, and it makes the party seem like they really care about crime. But over the past 60 years, it hasn't worked, and yeah, I just believe we need to take a health-based approach to crime, because that's what works, and yeah, hopefully talking about this on the podcast, maybe, I don't know, change you to think about things a little bit differently. Who knows? But I think we can make a lot of positive change in the country, and positive change that comes from compassion, and understands that punishment is not always the best option when dealing with crime. So, before I sign out on the podcast, yeah, in a show of compassion with Portugal, I've got a Portugal DJ here. I'm going to play a song of theirs. And maybe you'll get the vibes of decriminalizing all drugs from the song. Who knows? Uh, this artist is called DJ Lycox. And it's a song called Solterio. And it's a Paris-based DJ who's a skilled craftsman of melody. And this comes from 2017, and it, to be honest, it shouldn't really work on paper. It has pitched up vocals paired with rolling, congas, electric violin samples, and what sounds like a melodica, which I don't even know what that is. It's a mashup of 90s house and something you might hear from a Parisian busker on the steps of Montmartre that manages to be both strange and sweet. This is DJ Lycox, Solterio. Before I play the song, you know the usual thing. Be compassionate to others, but most importantly, be compassionate to yourself. And yeah, that's me. Peace in the Middle East.
The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the Top of the South's community access media station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.